Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Risen Life, in which we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and consider what Jesus' resurrection means for us who have been raised to new life in Christ. Here's Pastor Nick. Like with a whip, they would pluck out his beard and they would spit in his face. All things that happened during Jesus' crucifixion. And yet in spite of what the people would do to him, the Savior would set his face like a flint in order to complete his mission. Jesus might have reminded them of Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, where Daniel told us that the coming Savior, the Messiah, he would be cut off, meaning killed, but not for his own sake, but for our sakes. Or maybe he would remind them of Zechariah chapter 12, where Zechariah foretold that the Messiah would be pierced by the very people he came to save. You see, these prophecies that the Messiah would suffer and die as you might guess, they were not very popular. They were certainly a lot less popular than the other prophecies about how he would be a triumphant, glorious ruler and king. And so what the people did, it was very easy for them to kind of, to kind of ignore those prophecies about suffering and dying and to focus more on the prophecies about the, the Messiah as glorious, triumphant king. For the Jewish people also, these prophecies which talked about the Messiah suffering and dying, they were a source of great confusion. The source of great confusion. Here's why. Because if the coming Savior was supposed to be a triumphant king, how could he do that if he's rejected and killed? It doesn't make any sense. And yet there it was in black and white. They couldn't ignore it. And Jesus reminded these two disciples as they went along the road, he reminded them of the important and meaningful and numerous prophecies which stated that the Messiah would suffer and die. And then Jesus did something remarkable. Look at verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This must have been, without question, the greatest Bible study that's ever been taught in the history of Bible studies. And we're going to talk about it more in just a minute. But first, look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in with them to stay with them. This mysterious stranger who's been teaching them from the scriptures. They want more time with him. They don't want him to leave. And so they, they get him and they, they pull him in their house. And Jesus enters the house with them. And then look at verse 30. It says, when he was at the table with them, he broke the bread and blessed it and gave thanks and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now listen, why is it that they did not recognize Jesus at first, but then during this meal, suddenly they recognize him? Well, listen, these two men, they were close disciples of Jesus. They were intimately familiar with him. They would have recognized him if they had seen him. And yet there was something about Jesus' appearance after his resurrection that was different. Now, on the one hand, he was not a ghost. 
He looked and sounded and felt like a human. He broke bread with his hands. Later on in verses 41 through 43, we read about how Jesus ate a piece of fish. In verses 39 and 40, we read that Jesus invited his disciples to touch his body and feel him because as he said, a spirit or a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he was not a ghost. And yet we're told at the end of verse 31 that Jesus, as he was in their house, suddenly he vanished from their sight. And then in verse 36, we read about how Jesus then appeared in the place where the other disciples were gathered behind locked doors. And he didn't knock on the door. He didn't ring the doorbell. He didn't use a key. He just entered into that place. So on the one hand, Jesus' body after his resurrection was human. It was physical. He had hands and feet and a voice. You could touch him. You could hug him. And yet his body was also different than it had been before, different than my body or your body. There are things that he could do now that he couldn't previously do. And Jesus' appearance was such that the disciples didn't recognize him until they did. And when they did, then they saw, oh yes, it's him. Kind of like, it's kind of like this. If you've ever met a friend from your childhood whom you haven't seen in many years, and then you meet them, at first you might not recognize them. But then once you realize that it's them, then you suddenly, oh yeah, now I see it. I see, I recognize you. This is what happens to me all the time. I meet people from my past and they're like, oh, I remember when you had hair, you look different, right? It's kind of, kind of the same thing. Jesus has been gone for three days, but there's now something different about his appearance. Now this is interesting because in his two letters to the Corinthians, in both of these letters, Paul the Apostle, he talks about how when we are resurrected, we will receive new bodies. And our resurrection bodies will be different than the bodies that we have now. He says there in 2 Corinthians, these corruptible bodies that we have will be put off and we will put on new incorruptible bodies. And Jesus says, or Paul says that Jesus, he is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is the prototype. He's model number one. And when we see him, we will be like him. In other words, Jesus' resurrection body tells us a lot about what our resurrection bodies will be like. They will be physical, you will be recognizable, and yet they will be different. They will be better. You will not be limited in the same way that your bodies are limiting you right now. And it was as Jesus was breaking the bread as he ate with these disciples that they suddenly recognized that it was him. Maybe it was because there at the table, they finally got a good look at him. Well, what I think, though, on the other hand, maybe it was because as he broke the bread, as he did that, and they sat there across from him, they were finally able to see that his hands were marked with the marks, the scars of nails that had been driven through his hands as he was crucified. The Gospel of John tells tells us that even in his resurrected body, Jesus still bore the scars from the nails that were placed in his hands. But you know what? There's one other part of this that we need to see. There may have also been a spiritual aspect to why they could not recognize him. It says in verse 16 that these two disciples were kept from recognizing him. And then in verse 31, it says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
So it seems that beyond just the normal, natural level of seeing and recognizing, there was also a spiritual aspect to why they couldn't see Jesus for who he was when they couldn't. The Bible says this about you and me. It says that in order for us to truly see Jesus for who he is, we need to have our eyes opened spiritually. You know, there are a lot of people when Jesus was alive who saw him. They saw Jesus, and yet they didn't see him for who he really was. In the same way, you know, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul the Apostle, he prays for them. And his prayer is that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they might see the incredible hope that they have in the gospel, the incredible riches, the eyes of their hearts. Now listen, I went to public school. I'm not a doctor, but I do know this. If I were to pull out your heart and set it here on the table and we were to examine it, you know what we'd find? There'd be some ventricles. There'd be some valves. But you know what there wouldn't be? There wouldn't be a set of eyeballs attached to it, right? There wouldn't be a set of eyeballs. So when Paul's talking about the eyes of your heart, he's talking about not, not physical eyes. He's talking about the ability to discern spiritual truths, spiritual things. So to truly see Jesus, it requires spiritual discernment. See, it's one thing to know about Jesus, but this is beyond just knowing the facts about who Jesus is and what he did. This means actually understanding in your heart of hearts what he did and what it meant and that it was for you. See, these two disciples, as they finally see Jesus for who he really is, this is a great picture of what needs to happen in all of our lives on a spiritual level. It's one thing to know about Jesus, but it's another thing when that information suddenly clicks in your heart and your eyes are opened and you go from knowing about Jesus to actually trusting in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. There are several places in the Bible where we're encouraged to look to Jesus. But again, how do you look to someone whom you can't see physically? Again, that means that this isn't just looking to him physically. It means to trust in him. That's what it means to look to him, to trust in him and to place your hope in him. 
And when you do that, when the eyes of your heart are opened and you truly see Jesus for who he is, when you begin to look to him and trust in him and hope in him, you know what it does? It does some pretty incredible things in your life. And this brings us back to our summary sentence. One of the things that happens when you truly see the risen Jesus is that it unlocks the meaning of the Bible. It unlocks the meaning of the Bible. As Jesus left those two disciples he had met on the road to Emmaus, it says in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Friends, my greatest desire is that when you would come here to Whitefields and you hear the Bible open, you see the Bible open, you hear it taught and explained, my desire is that that same thing would happen to you, that you would hear God speaking to you and that your hearts would burn with within you. It says in verses 33 through 35 that these two disciples, they then left and they went back to Jerusalem and they went to the place where the other disciples were staying and they went and told them, Jesus appeared to us. We saw him. He really is risen from the dead. We met him. He ate with us. He broke the bread. We realized it was him. In verse 36, as they were talking in the place where the disciples are staying in Jerusalem, Jesus stood among themselves, stood among them and said, peace be with you. And how did they feel when that happened? Were they excited? Were they happy? Did they feel peace? No. It says they were freaked out. They were panicked, as you can imagine, might happen. But then look at verse 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. Just as Jesus had explained the scriptures to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, now he opened the eyes of the other disciples to understand that everything that was written in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, was ultimately about him. You know, here at Whitefields, one of the things we love to do is to study the whole Bible, including the books of the Old Testament. Now, sometimes I've had people ask me, you know, Nick, why do we bother studying the Old Testament? I mean, shouldn't we focus rather on the New Testament, you know, since the New Testament is the part that's all about Jesus? And the answer to that question, I always tell them, is the reason we love to study the Old Testament is because, do you know what the Old Testament's about? It's all about Jesus. You see, I coordinated my outfit today to match. Can you, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call it an outfit. My clothes, right? Okay, I coordinated my clothes to match the study today. And guys, if you want one of these shirts, they're available in our bookstore, go get one. Listen, let's celebrate this, that it is all about Jesus, the scriptures, and may our lives be all about him as well. But listen, as Jesus walked with his disciples, he took them through the Old Testament stories. He took them through the law of Moses, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He took them through the Psalms and the historic books. He took them through the prophets and he explained to them how every story and every symbol ultimately pointed to him and foreshadowed what he was going to do in order to save us. You see, even though the disciples already knew what the Bible said, they didn't understand why it said those things. 
You see, they understood what it said about the sacrifices and the priests and the other things. They didn't know why God ordained the sacrifices to take place in the exact way that they were ordained to take place. They didn't understand why God gave the symbols. They understand that he gave them, but they didn't understand why he gave them and what they meant. And what Jesus helped them to understand is that the whole Bible is a story of how God has been working throughout history to save the world from sin and death through Jesus. You see, for the disciples, this was the ultimate aha moment. Like when you find out at the end of the sixth sense that Bruce Willis has been dead the entire time, suddenly it all makes sense and you want to go back and you want to read the whole thing all over again because knowing what you know now causes you to see everything in a whole new way. There are details that before didn't make any sense, but now they do. There are things which you previously overlooked because you thought they were unimportant details, but suddenly they make sense. Now you understand why they are there and what they're pointing to. A friend of mine, he puts it this way. He says, the Bible is like a math textbook that has all the answers written in the back, right? The Bible is like a math textbook. And you know what? You want to know all the answers? They're written in the back. Go find them. As Jesus walked his disciples through the Old Testament, he would have explained to them. And this is what you got on that sheet that was handed to you as you walked in. Jesus would have explained to them, walking through the Bible, and I want you to take that sheet, by the way. I want you to go, and this week, that'll be fun for you to explore those things and see how each of those there points to Jesus. But Jesus would have explained to them that he is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3, whose heel would be bruised. He is the blessing of Abraham to all the nations. Jesus would have explained to them how he is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, how he is the man who wrestled with Jacob. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the voice from the burning bush. He is the Passover lamb. He is the prophet who is greater than Moses. He's the captain of the Lord's army who spoke to Joshua, and he is the ultimate kinsman redeemer who was talked about in the book of Ruth. He is the son of David who was a king greater than David. And he's the suffering savior of Psalm 22. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the wisdom of the Proverbs. And he is the lover of the Song of Solomon. He is the savior described in the prophet, in the prophets who would be the suffering servant. He, and he is the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. Friends, the Bible is an inexhaustible book. It is a bottomless well. You can study it for the rest of your lives and it will never cease to amaze you and it will never cease to feed and nourish your soul. It's simple enough for a child to understand it and it's so rich that it's studied in universities all over the world. In order to understand fully who Jesus is and what God has done to save you, you need the Old Testament. But apart from Jesus, the Old Testament won't make any sense. In order to understand the Bible, you need to understand that the entire thing is all about Jesus. The whole thing is meant to show you that you have a problem and you need a savior, but God loves you so much that he has provided the savior you need and that savior is him. 
God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He gave his life as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for your sins and to redeem your soul. He came to cleanse you so that you could be reconciled to him and spend eternity with him. And what that requires from you is not only to see Jesus for who he is, but to look to him in faith, in the sense of trusting in him and placing your hope in him. And that brings us to the final part of this sentence that we're looking at today, and that's this. Truly seeing the risen Jesus, not only does it unlock the meaning of the Bible, but you know what else it does? It unleashes God's power in your life. Notice what Jesus tells his disciples at the end of this section. In verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all the nations, in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The purpose of all this, of what Jesus had done, and this information he gave them, explaining to them in the scriptures all the things about himself, the purpose of it was not just to fill their minds with some cool information, give them an amazing study. No, the purpose of it was to equip them so they could go on and carry out God's calling on their lives. And in order to do that, God promised to give them his power in order to carry that out. And here's what's so interesting, and here's what we're going to be talking about in different ways for the next several weeks throughout this series. The Bible goes on to explain that to be a Christian doesn't just mean that you believe, that if you believe in Jesus, one day when you die, you will go to heaven. If that's all it was, that would be more than enough. But here's the good news. It's something even better than that. You see, not only will you have eternal life through Jesus when you die, but you can actually experience the risen life of Christ here and now. To be a Christian means that you have been, Paul tells us in Colossians, you have been rescued from the domain of darkness and you have been transferred into God's kingdom and his light. And so what that means is that spiritually you have already been resurrected to new life. That's what baptism is a symbol of. It's a symbol of spiritual resurrection to new life. You still have the same body of flesh, but something has happened in your spirit by which the old you has been put to death and you have become a new creation in Christ. Paul the Apostle, he puts it this way in Galatians 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me put it this way. The Christian life is not just about believing that Jesus rose from the grave, but it's actually living in and experiencing the power of the resurrection in your life. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is now at work in us who believe. Friends, why do you need that power in your life? I'll tell you what, you need it for every practical thing in your life. 
Maybe you need God's power in order to overcome sin and temptation so that you can have victory over something that has been holding you down or keeping you back. Maybe you need God's power in your life in order to fulfill a calling that he has placed on your life in regard to your family or in regard to your work or something else that he's called you to do. Maybe you need God's power in order to walk with him or to transform some area or of your heart or of your life. Friends, I'll tell you this. You need God's power for every area of your life. And here's the incredible and wonderful thing. That God doesn't just tell us what to do. He actually gives us the power to do it. He doesn't just say, do this and, and do your best and let's see how it goes. No, no, no. He says, do this and rely upon me and I will give you my power and strength in order to do what I'm calling you to do. So how do you get that life-changing power of the resurrection in your life? It comes from looking to Jesus, trusting in him, and placing your hope in him. But looking to Jesus, that begins with seeing Jesus for who he truly is, the promised Savior. God come to save us by cleansing us and redeeming us. He is the Savior who we need to save us from our sins, and he did that by substituting himself for us, dying and resurrecting so that in him we might have new life. My prayer for you today is that you would see Jesus for who he truly is and that you would look to him for all that you need. Friends, tr truly seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, it unlocks the meaning of the Bible and it unleashes God's power in our lives. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.